it is my honor and my blessing to introduce to you a friend of mine. Um, this young man has, and his sweet wife, have served here at Canoe Creek for the past three years. Um, Evan has done his internship here with us this summer, so he's a familiar face. But to close his internship with us, it is um, his turn to come and um, bring the word to us today. So would you please help me welcome this amazing young man, Evan Siefert. There we go. Sorry. When I was in fifth grade, I had what I considered to be my first crush. We're going to call this girl Donna. She was sweet. She was caring. She was kind. Everything you'd want in a girl, and I had it bad for her. So with all the emotions that my fifth grade self had, I decided I was going to pursue this girl. This was going to be my whole life. I was going for it. I was going, and I was going to do everything I can to make sure she noticed me. Push people out of the way to open the door for her. Anything she was interested in, I was interested in. Oh, you like that movie? That's my favorite. You like that song? That's my favorite, too. I thought I was just the greatest soon-to-be boyfriend ever. Well, I let that game go on a little bit too long, and fifth grade ended. And what you don't know is Donna and I were not planning to go to the same middle school. So, I mean, life was falling apart. I was thinking, like, what am I going to do? I have to do something. So I opened up my yearbook where everybody signs, because that's how you have a reputation in middle school, in an elementary school, and I saw her name. And then under it, the keys to the kingdom, the keys to all my dreams, an email address. Not a phone number. Even though I know she had a phone and she knew I had a phone. Maybe that should have been my first stop, but no, no, no. I was too excited. I had a way to contact her. So I emailed her, you know, hi, how are you doing? How's it going? How's your summer? How's planning for middle school? We emailed back forth a little bit, communicated, and eventually I saw my chance. I had the confidence of a lion one day, and I sent the email that would forever change my life. Donna, will you be my girlfriend? so excited, butterflies in my stomach, hands are shaking, palms are sweaty, the world was getting better, stars were aligning. She responds, I open it up, I think it would be better if we stayed friends. That was it, my world had ended, everything was over, I'm no longer ever going to be happy. I can only hear the words of Bon Jovi saying, shot through the heart and you're to blame, you give love a bad name. I think we all can agree that rejection feels terrible. I'm sure many of us understand what it's like to ask someone out and be rejected. For the others of us, I'm sure we know what it's like to be asked out and hand out the rejections. It's a scary thing. And I think the fear of rejection makes us as Christians freeze sometimes. Because we're scared of being rejected by people because we're Christians or because we share the gospel with people. To the point where it would be better if we just don't share at all. You may remember the story of the Apostle Peter, one of the 12 disciples, towards the end of Jesus' ministry. When he's arrested, Peter is, or Peter is confronted by a couple people, a few people. Go up to him and like, hey, don't you know this guy? This, this Jesus guy, I've been hanging out with him for like three years. And Peter says... No. He denies the accusation three times, and Peter's fear of rejection is what we begin to see. He's afraid of not only being rejected by the people, but being associated with Jesus. So he dismisses Jesus and rejects ever even knowing him. 
Today, I want to focus on one passage that focuses in on this type of rejection, on this type of dismissal. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Acts 2. And while you're doing that, let me tell you a little bit about the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is really a two-piece work written by a guy named Luke. And so Luke is the person who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. And so even though these two books are separated in your Bibles by the Gospel of John, they're really meant to be read as one completed work. And some of the themes that you see from the Gospel of Luke, you also see in the book of Acts because they're written by the same person. And although we traditionally call it Acts, it's actually the name is the Acts of the Apostles because the book is the description, gives descriptions of the apostles going out after Jesus has left the earth as they begin to share the Gospel with the people around them. And so with that in mind, it really should be no surprise that Acts is filled with lots of people who reject the gospel message, who reject the good news. And in fact, it's found in almost every single chapter of the book. However, there's one chapter and one particular passage that I want to focus on today, and that's in Acts 2. So real quick, let me catch you up on everything that happened in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascended into heaven. First thing that happens. Very important event, very important moment. He talks to his disciples for a little bit, and then he ascends into heaven. And then the 11 disciples, and remember that they're only 11 because Judas has rejected Jesus. He left the group, and so he's hanging out somewhere else. And the 11 disciples join together and choose to replace Judas with a guy named Matthias. And so these 12 disciples gather together, and now you know everything about Acts 1. So they're gathering together, and with the replacement for Judas, they're ready to go out and spread the gospel. So they're sitting in this room, and then we're told that they begin to hear wind and see fire, which are common elements that represent that the Spirit is at work. And then in verse 4, we're told that the Spirit comes upon them and enables them to speak in other languages. But this isn't just a normal speaking in other languages. They just didn't all of a sudden know how to speak Spanish, French, Italian, all those other languages. They were speaking in their own language, but everybody else was hearing them in their native language. Let me put it this way. I'm speaking right now in my native language of English, but for those of you whose first language may be Spanish, you're hearing me in perfect Spanish, rolling the R's and everything. That's what this event is. It's a very miraculous event, and a crowd begins to form for obvious reasons, because something fishy seems to be going on here. And what you have to understand about this day of Pentecost is that everybody is here. In verses 9 through 11, there's at least 15 places, areas, and cultures that are all being represented at this event. And yet all of them are hearing the disciples in their native language. It's a very miraculous event, but there's something else going on too. One of the things that we've been trying to do throughout this entire sermon series is show the Bible as a collected works. That it's God's story from beginning to end with intentional pieces, intentional things placed at just the right time, at just the right moment. And here in Acts 2, I believe that this event can take us all the way back to Genesis to find a connection. So Genesis 11 contains the very famous Tower of Babel story. If you don't know that story, let me give you a quick little overview. So at this time, it's not super long after creation, and so all the people were still in one area speaking one language, and the people begin to join together, and this is what happened. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. 
The people were trying to reach heaven and become their own God. They wanted the power and the fame, the glory. But God saw this and decided that he would set things right. He would confuse their languages and scatter them among the earth. And so with that in mind, think about Acts 2. In Genesis 11, God confused the languages, but in Acts 2, everyone's hearing the disciples in their own language. There's no more confusion. In Genesis 11, God scattered the people among the earth, and yet in Acts 2, people from all over the world have gathered together for this event. In Genesis 11, people were building a tower to reach God, and yet in Acts 2, God's spirit comes down to the people. It's a very important event, and it's a beautiful story that shows Acts 2 as this complete reversal of the Tower of Babel event. But why is this important? Because this story details the miraculous power of God, which shows us that when it comes to spreading the gospel, there are no barriers that God will not overcome. Think about some of the barriers in your own life, barriers and obstacles that you've had to overcome for God to begin to work in you and through you. And maybe even thinking forward, what barriers, what obstacles does God need to work through for him to begin to work in and through you? See, the issue in Genesis 11 is the people were trying to work without God. They were trying to do it on their own. They wouldn't surrender to his power, to his kingship, to his kingdom. They rejected God. But here in Acts, the disciples have surrendered themselves because they recognize that it is only through the power of God that they can spread the gospel. Because when it comes to spreading the gospel, there's no obstacles, there's no barriers that God will not overcome. But even with this miraculous event, there's two reactions. There's a group of people who are curious about what's happening, and there's a group of people who dismiss the event altogether. Look at verses 12 and 13 with me. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Some people were very interested in this miracle. Some people were wondering, what does this mean? What is God trying to tell me through this event? What is he trying to do through this miracle? And yet other people saw this miracle as nothing more than a mistake. So here's the question. Which one are you? What group are you in? Are you curious about the power and the presence of God? Or are you dismissive of him? Are you curious about God, willing to surrender to his power, to his kingdom, to his kingship? Or are you dismissive of him, dismissive of the gospel, dismissive of the good news, rejecting God as king, like those building the tower? You see, when we're curious about God and willing to surrender to his power, it puts ourselves in a position to share the gospel with the people around us because we recognize that it is only through God that we can spread the good news of Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean you need to have a sermon ready at all times, that you need to be ready to get up on a stool and preach to the masses. For many of us, to begin to spread the gospel the simplest thing we can do is begin mimicking the characteristics of Jesus. Being compassionate, being kind, being caring, showing love. Just interacting with people in a godly way puts you in a position to be able to show someone the love of Christ and tell them about it when the time is right. And so here's my next question. 
Why don't we? Why don't we share the gospel with people? Why don't we share it at work, at the store, at the restaurant, with our neighbors, with our friends, in our schools, with our family? Why don't we spread and share the gospel everywhere? Certainly there's a lot of reasons. Some of you may feel unequipped. Unequipped to spread the gospel where if someone were to ask you a question, you wouldn't know how to answer. And so because of the fear of you don't want to represent God badly, you would rather not do it at all. Some of you may feel like it's not your job, like your job is to invite people to church and then Ross or someone else takes it from there. Whatever your reason is, I don't know where you're at, but I know that for myself, and I think for some of you maybe, the problem is a fear of rejection. I mean, think of it this way. If you could guarantee that any time you shared the gospel with someone, they would turn to Christ, what would you do? If any time you told someone about the gospel, they were like, yeah, I want to follow this Jesus guy right now, what would you do with that promise? I imagine many of us are thinking, well, I'd go share it with everybody. I'd run to the grocery store, go up and down the aisle telling everybody about Jesus. But why don't we? Because that's not the promise. There's no guarantee that anybody we share the good news with is going to come to follow and know Jesus. And without that guarantee, there's a fear of rejection. People may not claim that we drank too much, but we're afraid that we'll lose friends, that people will look at us differently, that they'll treat us differently, that they'll dismiss us as foolish. We're afraid that people will reject us. When I first became a Christian, this was the very issue And although it wasn't that long ago when I became a Christian, I had a friend who I was scared to tell because I knew he wasn't a Christian and he's against all types of religion. I know this because I had those conversations with him before I became a Christian. Maybe you have a friend like this, someone who you're scared to tell about the faith you have, about the good news that you've accepted. When I thought of this, telling this friend that I became a Christian, I get sick in my stomach. I was scared to tell him because I didn't want him to lose him as a friend. I didn't want him to look at me differently. I didn't want to feel like, I didn't want him to feel like he couldn't be himself around me. I was scared that he would reject me. And why wouldn't I be? We follow a God and we serve a gospel that is so radical to our world. It's radical to the people during Jesus's time. And here we are 2000 years later and it's just as radical One thing we did 20, 30 years ago can define us for the rest of our life. We live in a guilty until proven innocent culture. We're surrounded by people who will pick up every mistake we ever make and our identity will be formed by that mistake. And yet the gospel we follow says that there is a God who loves you, who knows every mistake you've made, who knows every mistake you're going to make, and still loves you anyways, and has sent his son to die for you. That's so radical. Even Paul encourages in the book of Galatians, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul recognizes that if we're doing what we're called to do as Christians, People will dismiss and reject us. People will not always be happy with our actions as Christians. And is that okay with you? I've struggled and I still do struggle with people pleasing. I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to be comfortable. I want everybody to be satisfied. 
But if there's one theme that runs throughout the entire book of Acts, it is this. When we follow God faithfully, we will face rejection. When we follow God faithfully, we will face rejection. The apostles will go out from this event and begin to spread the gospel everywhere among the entire world and people will reject them time and time again. They'll be thrown in prison. They'll be outcasted. They'll be kicked out of cities. The apostles following the great commission, doing everything that Jesus told them and taught them to do, surrendering themselves, surrendering themselves to God's will for their life, face rejection time and time again. When we follow God faithfully, we will face rejection. In the very first chapter of Acts, before Jesus ascends into heaven, this is the last thing he tells his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this is what we see in Acts 2. This is the beginning of the promise. The Spirit comes on the disciples and they begin being witnesses to the people. And they do it boldly and faithfully. And many of them would end up dying for their faith. But they did it anyways. The Spirit comes upon them and changes everything. Earlier, I talked about the Apostle Peter, who denied and rejected ever knowing Jesus. But if you look back at Acts 2, after that accusation that they're just drinking too much, look who the first person to speak up is. Peter. He gets up, he addresses the crowd, he gives them a sermon about Jesus, about the gospel, about how the Old Testament points to Jesus. He boldly preaches the gospel, despite the rejection he knew he might receive. And once he's done preaching people are moved and they begin to ask, what should we do? And Peter's famous reply, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who, whom the Lord our God will call. Peter preaches a sermon that would convict 3,000 people to follow Jesus because he got over his fear of rejection, over the fear of rejection and surrendered himself to God's power and kingship because he knew that the kingdom, the church, was more important than what people thought of him. If you didn't know, I've been studying at Johnson University for the past two years. It's a Bible college over in Kissimmee and I've come to love a lot of things, the faculty, the staff, the students, the environment. But there's one thing that has stuck with me since the very first time I toured campus. Inside the main building, there's an area with flags. And these flags represent all the countries where Johnson has students and missionaries who are being a light to their community. People who are doing God's will, doing God's calling in their life in other parts of the world. But there's also this other flag, this white flag. And this flag represents all the countries where there's students in missionary serving where it's illegal to be a Christian. Places where it is so unsafe to be that we can't even pretend like we're gonna, that we know what country they're in. This white flag is such a beautiful metaphor for those people because they have quite literally waved the white flag in their own life as they surrendered to God's calling and to God's power. And that is the calling for us. 
to wave our white flag, to surrender ourselves to Jesus as king, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. That doesn't mean you need to go to another country, another state, or even another city. There are people right here in your community that need Jesus. It may mean that you need to walk to your neighbor's house, call a friend, call a family member, whoever it is, show Jesus to them and share the gospel with them. And if they reject it, keep sharing again and again and again. When we follow God faithfully, we will face rejection. But let's preach the gospel boldly anyways. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful that you, that you invite us into your story, into your presence, that you allow us to accept the sacrifice that you made so that way we can have an eternal life with you in heaven. God, we love you and we're so thankful. It's in your name we pray. Amen.